It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, dude. Seriously? You gotta clean up your room. It's a complete mess. I am great. I am not boring. You're boring. You know what's boring? Sitting there playing that mind-numbing game. What's boring is me tripping over your vines every day. I'm not boring. <laughs> and now I know how Yandu felt. World outside your window, still not great, but guess what? Here on Post Show Recaps, everything is super, as we are talking all things Marvel Cinematic Universe on the Everything is Super podcast. This week, talking Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, and I hear it, Dad. I get it. We're late. I'm sorry. I'm the teenage Groot who's defying my parents and disobeying the release schedule. We're full week late. We took an accidental week off. My bad. Uh, I'm Josh Bickler. I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo. Kevin, I'm sorry. This is mostly my fault. And by most, I mean completely my fault. You are blameless in the delay. Yeah, I'm taking away all your your toys. You're not allowed <laughs> to play video games. No, uh, that moment is great because that is, for me, a uh, you want to know how Star-Lord is white moment? <laughs> it's like just this threat of like, I'll take away your things as opposed to if that was my parents. Oh, boy. A whole different scenario there. Is, is that like a very white thing that like we would take away uh, toys uh, rather than some other form of disciplinary action? Oh, is this yeah, a very white question coming from me? Yes, extremely. So. <laughs> I think that's like a, it's like a standard thing where it's just like, you know, people joke where it's just like white, white suburban parents. Their reaction is always just like, well, you're grounded. Go to your room. Yeah. Or like, we're going to take away your Xbox or whatever versus... Uh, you know, minority and, and uh, people of color have usually uh, um, a different um, uh, response to that, uh, to say the least. Um, okay, it's it's actually really interesting, and I don't want to get too far into it. But well, I think we can talk about parenting in this podcast. Isn't that such a big theme of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, anyway? Yeah, I think I think that's true, and I think you know it's funny because like you know each thing is different. Like it, that one is really interesting because I know like a lot of people always talk about studies about like. Um, you know, discipline and, and, and are always just like, well, you know, it has a, a bad reaction. But what's funny, especially now when we look at uh, statistics of the world and how we always we're questioning it more, that has actually been questioned. Someone I actually know, one of my closest friends, he um, did he did a paper, I believe, on on this where those studies were done on white families. And so the idea of just like, oh, well, you know, like like discipline like that or spanking is is bad and, and, it, and it, it, it affects negatively it was all basically done by white families. Um, whereas if you look at the other end of the spectrum, the, the, the results aren't the same. They're different. It's cultural. And, and, and I think that's, that's a, that's a, that's a thing that again, people will call out, but it shows the differences of statistics and these studies and how they focused basically on white people most of the time and ignore, um, you know, people of color and, and how that can actually warp and change, um, what the results really are because it's only looking at one particular size of the sample. 
Um, roundabout, roundabout way. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not condoning anything so, or saying. A wild start to is, the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two podcast. I mean, certainly Yondu was raising <laughs> Star Lord in a certain way from the way it sounds he was, like. You know, he, he was small. You could fit into stuff. <laughs> he beat the crap out of me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not condoning any of that. I'm just. Uh, it's just one of those things that you know is interesting. Um, that I always found being a a you know a person of color raised in a household that um. Raise your kids differently than I think a lot of other families. Yeah, if you were raised in, in my America. household, Kevin, your hands would be as soft as mine. And see, you know, <laughs> no, a hard are... day's work and your entire life got everything you ever wanted. <laughs> as a kid, my hands were rough. As an adult now, I have baby <laughs> soft, softening, smooth hands. They're softening. Yeah, they're so um, soft. Robin well, takes care of me so well. And, well, let's, and <laughs> let's, uh, let's soften our way into talking Guardians 2. Uh, again, apologies for the delay. That is entirely on me. Uh, took some time off. We had a plan to record this. The plan went awry. We were supposed to push one button, but instead we pushed the other button. And everything got detonated, baby Groot style. Uh, we will spare you all of the logistics, but we're back. The result is that we are off by a week. This will be your Everything is Super podcast for this week of August 10th. Uh, and we will be coming with uh, Spider Man Homecoming, is going to be coming up uh, as our next podcast. We'll be getting that your way next week. Uh, of course, there's so many ways for you to send your feedback in super at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. It's where you can send all of your infinity stone rankings as we rank the movies the villains the post-credit scenes so many post-credit scenes this week i don't know that we're going to talk about all the rankings of them because there's just too many but i'd love to talk about it in a blanket uh way at the very least and maybe call it some highlights um you can send all of that into super post show recaps.com or you can tweet at us at Rand howard that's me kevin is at kev mahadeo also uh make sure to reach out to kevin with all of your disciplinary uh stories <laughs> uh, anything that you want to talk about in that regard kevin is going to be more than happy to field yeah totally just come at, come at me with, with how i'm uh, doomed to be a terrible he's parent not now. your father but he <laughs> is your daddy on this podcast <laughs> i Kevin love also dad. you know people can't see this but uh when we record um we, we we have our video running and we usually just name ourselves we don't know what we name ourselves before coming in but you yeah, have named yourself your daddy and I have named myself Ego, obviously. We have both chosen the two fathers of yeah. Star-Lord, just in the opposite sides, which of yeah. course, of course. <laughs> right now, my hair could kind of do like a Yondu-ish mohawk thing. I'm a pretty good whistler, too. Uh, um, I wish... I wish I looked like Kurt Russell in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Are you kidding me? He looks amazing in this movie as well. That man. But how about Jesus. the flashback mode? Did you notice the mouth? Anything weird when you see no, young Kurt I, Russell? No, it's just me. I didn't. I tried paying attention to the mouth even, and I just, I don't know. Like, sometimes, yes, in certain things, I feel like the, 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 it's the always affects a little me weird. really you gotta bad. watch the mouth. I feel like the MCU does well. It's not like X-Men, you know, X3 level or even X-Men, you know, Origins Wolverine level where that's like, whoa, jarring. Yeah, you see two real uh, high watermarks of the superhero movie uh, yeah, right? community. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the pantheon. Top marks on those films. Everything yes. is super one day. Maybe we'll get to those and just be, whoa, boy. <laughs> Everything yeah, we'll, we'll, is extraordinary. We'll get into the, we'll the X Men <laughs> movies, if only, so that that can uh, uh, backdoor us into doing a full episode by episode rewatch of X Men: The Animated Series. That oh is uh, that's what I would like to do. I someday. was just talking about the theme song every episode, over and over and over again. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, what, what is? Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without our friend Brett White popping in and out at the very least, because uh, I I can't not think about Brett when I think about '90s X Men and. I 
I can't not think about Jubilee talking about does a mall rat love chili fries. Um, (laughs) But we're really off course here. We're talking Guardians 2. It's the second of three planned Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Obviously, plans, much like the schedule for this podcast, are very up in the air, (laughs) considering where we are in our culture at this moment in time as we are recording this in August of 2020. Um, But there are supposed to be three Guardians movies all told. There are two as it exists, both of which are directed by James Gunn, the third of which will allegedly be directed by James Gunn after a a whole to-do surrounding that that I don't know that we need to fully get into here. Um, But what's interesting to me, Kevin, is that the Guardians of the Galaxy as a set of characters are so widely loved. My hot take early on in this series of podcasts was that I was lower on the Guardians than maybe some people are. And I think that that's true as far as like my 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 general enthusiasm for these characters. Like I love the movies and that's great and I love the characters, but like I don't walk away from the movies and the characters thinking about them in like the same significant way that like maybe I spend time thinking about Steve Rogers and Tony Stark and and the characters on Tony on that Stank. side of the MCU. Tony Stank, that's right. Um but there is that big love for these characters and that huge love for that first movie. And I think that some of the conversation around Guardians Volume 2 is like, oh, it's just such a disappointing follow-up. Like, when we're talking about Phase 3 and this thrust of Phase 3 that that we're in right now, obviously we were pretty low on Doctor Strange. Apologies again for yucking the yum. Um, but I feel like Guardians Volume 2 sometimes gets, like, lumped into that conversation of, like, you have to, like, get through a little bit of a disappointing stretch in early on in Phase 3 before you start getting into, like, Homecoming and... We're off to the races from that point on. But I'm really struggling to see why volume two gets knocked. Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. I, I know that there is like a fairly pervasive take out there that this is not only an inferior Guardians movie to the first one, but by like a wide margin, it's inferior to the first one. Can you help me through this at all? Cause I, I don't even see where that really comes from kevin i i i can't because i don't get it either right like i honestly I love I, this I movie i wish i could i wish i got it yeah i mean the only things i can think of is is just i don't i don't even know right when guardians one came out it was original they were new it was something like shiny and bright and like oh my god this is so funny this is so different this is so wacky so naturally doing the you know the follow-up is gonna be like well you know there's nothing crazy new but i disagree strongly there i think there's a lot of new fun stuff in here i think some people of a type might not like baby groot and feel like it's like how in iron man 3 when they got mad at that kid because they're just like oh that must have been a disney thing to put in a kid they're like oh disney wanted a baby groot baby groot is probably the best groot far superior he might be the the dumber smaller groot as drax hilariously says at the end uh with his out of my way dumber smaller groot um but uh i i think he's great and you know for me without baby groot we would have had no baby yoda which was one of the best parts of the mandalorian so i don't know it's so weird the the music i also think is really great um some people might debate which soundtrack is better but i think it is strongly debatable about which one is better here for me starting a movie with elo like are you kidding like um that movie is amazing that that movie that song is fantastic i love that song i I listen to it pretty regularly actually um so i don't i mean i don't get it i think for me this movie 
is stronger in terms of its, uh, you know, a little bit in its structure in terms of like how it all plays out. Yes, it drags a little in the middle, but that's also because they're really establishing the villain. And I think because of that, the villain is also stronger. Um, I think the character dynamics have really great arcs between Star-Lord, between Gamora and Nebula. I mean, Nebula alone, um, you know, Rocket's arc. I mean, there's a lot of character stuff that happens in this that I think is really strong and really, really well done that you don't have as many of those character beats in the previous movie. So like for me, I don't, I don't get it. And it's also just bananas fun, man. Like the jokes, I think land all incredibly well. The sovereign are some of the greatest like aliens ever. Like, holy crap. Like every moment they're on screen is such a joy. And like, I think they're Robin's like favorite part. One of the run of Robin's favorite parts of the MCU. Cause they're so great. And of course you get this, you know, sliced alone showing up. Like there's just so much of this movie that it's I don't packed. understand the hate. I don't it's, get it. It's a packed movie. It's just like fully, fully stacked with stuff. And is it like, is it overstuffed? To some people, maybe. I guess that must be a piece of it. I think for some people, there is a feeling that it's, uh, it's too jokey, like it is overly comedic. Um, and so like the balance between that stuff and the dramatic moments skews too hard in favor of the comedy. Um, and I think like the only place where I really feel that is maybe in Drax as a character. And I, and I love Dave Batista and I think Drax is incredible. And I love that he's just like roaring with belly laughter throughout the entire movie. And it really does work for me, but it's very notable to me as well that like in this one, like Drax is like full ham. He's like full on comedic relief in this and it can be a lot. Um, he's probably of the main characters is Drax like the only character without like a huge emotional arc of like the core I mean, guardians baby Groot right like and even then uh, but he's Drax serving himself. a function right as baby Groot is sort of like the 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 eye of the needle that a lot of like the family themes are are threading through within the guardians of like let's raise this kid right sort of totally. like is, is playing in the background yeah, and I think that's there. I do think Drax has something, I don't necessarily call it an arc, but he has some character beats that are really well done, especially the stuff with Mantis, you know. Like, I think at the end, you know, his comment about, like, oh, you know, you know, uh, it's beautiful and so are you, I think is is, is strong. Um, I think a lot of the stuff he on does the in this inside. movie. Yeah, on the inside, you know. Like, I think he is played mostly for comic relief, but he has, I think, little beats and little moments. Like, that's a strong moment to me, you know, to have that ending with him making that comment. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's all there. And I think it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel bloated, right? There's a lot of stuff in this movie, but it never once felt bloated in the way like something like age of Ultron felt or something like that. I, I, I was in it all the way and nothing ever like pulled me out or, or felt like it was too much happening. I think they structured it really well. I think James Gunn did a great job, um, pacing everything out, giving the characters their moments they need without ever feeling like you're like too much into it. And as far as emotional stuff, this movie has, I think a stronger emotional beat for the main character than the last one did. I think, you know, the stuff with his dad, like is so powerful and strong and, you know, really cements to what this means for him in terms of like Endgame or infinity war. Right. Like before I remember thinking about, and I think we talked about this in guardians one where everyone criticizes star Lord's moment where he, you know, ruins everything by attacking Thanos. But it really is strengthened by the fact that I think watching these movies in a row now, like after what happened in Guardians, he, you know, his family is these are these people and like he'd rather lose the universe than lose them. And you got to think like coming off of 
you know, coming into Infinity War, it's not that long after this. He lost both his dads, basically, at, shortly after this. Like, these people are all he has, and all, you know, the most important one was Gamora. So I can see it a lot better now, too, where people criticize that action, but it totally makes sense for him. And, like, yeah, you want heroes to do the right thing at all times, but it totally fit. But, like, again, that moment, I think, wouldn't have existed without this movie. And, yeah, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Sometimes I don't get you know the audience's feedback on it and like being down on stuff and i feel like i'm taking crazy pills it's happened a lot more recently i feel like where i'm down and on something that people seem to really love uh one thing in particular but um this movie i i love it it's it's really fun it's really cool there's just so much good shit there's quantum asteroid belts what that's such an insane thing like when they're trying to drive through that asteroid belt as it's just popping you know left and right um i I don't know dude I don't know. I, I want someone to explain it and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get some when, when, when the uh, feedback, we get the feedback, but I feel like for you and me, this movie's great. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Um, to, to get into some of that feedback just early on, um, you know, there's a couple of different perspectives on this. I, I would say by and large, the reaction to this movie is positive um, based on the listenership of everything is super. It tilts more towards positive, but there's a, a range like um, on the scale of one to six ranking the movie. There's like, some in the two range. Um, it goes as high as a perfect six for, for one listener. Um, and a lot in the fours and fives. Um, I think you and I will be closer to the, to the five range. Um, when we, when we get to the final accounting of this, but just to pull in some of these community reviews that we've got. This is from Todd. Todd Enoch writes in, I go back and forth on whether the ramping up of the comedy in this installment makes it marginally better or marginally worse than the first film. But either way, it's still one of my favorite MCU films. The opening credit sequence is fantastic. Everything drastic. Jack says is hilarious. Baby Groot and the Toe is just the right amount of twisted humor for me. The Rocket versus the Ravagers in the Forest scene is one of my favorite scenes ever. And the fact that we now have had Ego the Living Planet on the big screen still boggles my mind. Plus, as a lifelong comic geek and a huge fan of all incarnations of the Guardians of the Comics, seeing the OG team pop up as Ravagers or having yes. a reference to the most hilariously named Guardians of the Gal- uh, Galaxy antagonist ever, Taserface, even as a teen, I knew it was ridiculous it gave it even more resonance for me and james gunn taking the fan theory of stan lee as a watcher and running wild with it is priceless um so that is one review this one comes from the great professor strunk who's been writing in uh each and every week with with really great dissertations of these marvel movies and professor strunk writes in and says ultimately james gunn is trying to do a lot of emotional work here with various individual story arcs nebula and gamora reconciling rocket and yandu relating quill and his dad and his daddy issues drax and mantis bonding quill and yondu in their relationship it's a lot as a result there's no guardian story arc in the movie it's people who have paired off who come back together at the end for a battle the quill and yondu storyline is excellent as is the gamora and nebula storyline which with the hindsight of endgame is even cooler i think whether the movie sinks or swims for you probably depends on how much you enjoyed these pairings but for most people the disappointment came from the imagined potential of what the guardians could have done had they stayed together the whole time i already watched a movie where they assemble and work through their emotional issues the second iteration was fun and a fine use of time it's just not what i had hoped for um so here's what i had to respond with with that i could see that right you want the guardians together you want them as a team and a lot of times of course i think that that's where they work best i think the pairings work for all these characters i think it makes sense but i also think you have to have them almost split up in this movie because the point of the movie at the end is finding 
your family and reuniting and being like our bond is stronger because unless your ego who was faced with the choice of either finding family, finding something that you want to hold on to in this universe or being alone and destroying it. He chose that. They did not. That's the arc. Like that's the story. The story is that these people who came together, broke apart and are now going on their individual journeys and their own storylines and have to come to realize at the end, like we have a choice. We could, you know, fall into our, our, our bad tendencies. We could end up the worst version of ourselves or be together and be the best thing we can be. And that's what they choose at the end. And that's how they come together and, and beat ego um, for a big part of it. Now, you know, that's, that's obviously, I think a, a lot of subtext into it, but I, I feel like that's the point though, right? Like that's the point of, of the storyline. Like ego as a character is all about being so powerful and so mad and so upset. Like, what do you do with that? And instead of like, finding a place where you can find happiness, finding the people who would make you okay, he decides instead to destroy all of it. Um, and I think, you know, that's the sort of choices that we're all faced with. And I feel like that's why, I don't know, it, again, it, it works for me. So maybe like, yeah, I, I can see like, it feels like how well, you know, your love of the movie is how well, how much you enjoyed the guardians together or apart. But I think again, structurally it works really well. And I love the pairings that happened in this. I think it, it, it worked. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I I think that um for for me, I think I think that those I I think to Strunk's point um that your enjoyment of this movie is going to depend on whether or not you're into how the characters are paired off. Um and I am into how the characters are paired off. I, I think that they all of the little storylines individually work, um, especially because like Gamora gets a lot of time in with Quill in addition to time in with Nebula. Nebula and is therefore like, passed the Bechtel test again. Very rarely done in the Marvel Universe, but Nebula is threading through a few different storylines as well. Like she's, you know, there, there's a, a good chunk of the beginning of the movie is the full crew together. Um, and the, the first scene of the entire movie, the, uh, well, I guess like the first guardian scene of the entire movie is the, the Mr. Blue Sky of it all and baby Groot dancing around and you're getting to like be in, in his eyes and ears watching all of the guardians interacting with each other and, you know, working together to take down one crazy monster and it's a it's a delight it's a delight i think a lot of people look at baby groot as a crutch um i think that there is like this idea of like not even that like it's the disneyfication of the guardians of the galaxy like you have to have a cute baby in in your movie i think it's like because like the dancing baby groot at the end of the first one was so widely loved that now everyone is like gonna uh you know they're gonna riot if you don't have baby groot in your movie so you got to have a cute baby groot um I, I don't think that that's a mandate that is presiding over this movie. If it is, it's not a creative hindrance in, in my mind. I think that through that character, there's so much comedy that is, that is being, uh, instilled in the film. And, um, we've, we've had some feedback on, on, on this front as well. This came in from Riley, uh, Riley, who said, you guys referred to baby Groot as basically Groot born again, growing into the same Groot in the previous Guardians podcast. However, James Gunn confirmed that Groot did die at the end of that movie. Baby Groot is basically how Groot procreates. So Baby Groot is the son of Groot. Groot died, Baby Groot is his son, and by extension, his whole family is the Guardians. In future movies, that's why the Guardians treat him like a son, because he was their son, and they are a family, so Baby Groot is like their child. Um, and I think that that... I, I don't know that I had really read the Baby Groot 
piece of this movie through that lens before. Um, and that feedback came in before I watched volume two and watching volume two through that lens of like baby Groot being like an opportunity for everybody to like try and raise themselves better, but still just like falling into the trappings of being themselves and like, you know, not really like chastising baby Groot when he's just like skewering, uh, rap, like, you know, taser faces people with his like little tree limbs. Uh, you know, like they're not like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the stats are on like the, the disciplinary tactics of how they handled baby Groot. Um, but like there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of fun to be had in that dynamic of everybody viewing him as uh as sort of like the child of the guardians uh and so i think like even just like from that thematic perspective so much of this movie is about um the ways in which your your uh you know your nuclear family has disappointed you or your nuclear family is toxic um or like your nuclear family was toxic and doesn't have to be anymore um as long as what what matters most is like finding the people who matter to you most as family um you know this is you know uh, the avengers deals in this a little bit but i think that the guardians movies do this better. Um, you know, it's it's this and the Fast and the Furious franchise, Kevin, that really puts uh, family. It's about family. Yeah, family. Uh, you, know, like, you know, I think I think that they they do it better here in in the MCU. And I think without Baby Groot, um, who is you know obviously just incredible for comedy, that first scene is just so fun. Um, the whole series of events where he keeps coming back to Yondu and Rocket in like this comedy of errors of like, I, is this the thing? Is this the thing? And none of it is the stuff that Yondu needs. It's all so fun. But I also think that he is uh, a pivotal player in crystallizing this greater theme about um, wishing that your parents were different, wishing that you were raised differently, now having an opportunity to do it differently. You can't go back and change it. You have to, you have to move it forward. Um, the self-loathing that Rocket feels, like all, all of that, I think, really does thread through this comedic character that isn't just a gimmick for me. I think, uh, tiny pint-sized baby Groot, I think, is, uh, you know, containing some of the biggest heart in the entire film. Yeah, and I'm 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 with you on that, and and like for me, the usage, like you said, the comedic beats are so great. Like, uh, you know, him bringing all the stuff, like you said, is, is such a hilarious moment, and you know, like I, I love that. Like, wait, is that why you don't like hats? Uh, I think it's just really funny because it also just re- reminds me. Uh, it made me think of Gus and just be like, oh God, is that why Gus doesn't like hats? Yeah, why, why does he have a weird head? Um, but also, like the opening is is I think great because like some people are like oh the dancing group but i'm like but it gave a perspective an interesting pov literally on a fight that we would have seen a billion times over the heroes fight a monster cool um but having it done with the music playing as we full circle them 360 style following along baby Groot while they fight in the background and we see those beats from another pov i think is genius it's a great way of presenting something that we have seen over and over again in a way that's both comedic and interesting and then we still got the ending stuff that i think worked really well we still get the humor of you know like skin is just as like from the inside as it is from the outside like those yeah. moments work really well and i think yep. yeah having groot as that pov having almost an oblivious childlikeness as this violence and destruction goes on around him is is interesting and and sometimes this happened you know with kids and how they they respond to it and how that's going to affect them um so yeah I, I i think that baby groot works really well i don't I, I didn't watch it with that POV in mind about like the family aspect, but it totally makes sense too for later on, especially when he's teen Groot and like, you know, working through that stuff um, in an infinity war. Um, so yeah, I, I, 
I just think it's 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 and that makes it all the more horrible when Rocket watches him disappear. Well, you've heard this part, right? Where James Gunn has confirmed himself as well that like when Rocket when he's disappearing and he says like I am Groot to Rocket, that actually translates to dad. Right. Um so that is an emotional like hit that's hard in that moment. And I think, you know, it, it, it again like all these movies have done a great job building off each other and I think a lot of the emotional storylines and stuff that comes out of um Infinity War and Endgame for these characters stem from here. Especially you pointed out with the Nebula stuff. Like, holy crap, the storyline with her and Gamora is so good, and it's so well done, and I'm so glad that that pairing happened. I would have way rather watched those two together than watch just Gamora and Quill again to have yet another, like, guy likes girl, girl right. is a bit off standoffish, um, you know, stuff. Like, I-, I think it's way better and way more interesting to have the storyline about sisters than than just the usual nonsense that we see in every movie ever. And maybe it's just me because I watch too many you know, God dang movies. But I feel like when, when I become critical of stuff like that, it's because I've just been like, okay, come on, do something new, do something unique. And this movie does a lot of that. Um, yeah. And not even to mention, like, again, like we talked about that, that those, those moments, right. We're talking about the comedy. We're talking about the silliness, but like after Groot does the whole stuff where he brings all the various bits and pieces, all the little things. And then, you know, um, I don't remember his name in the movie. That's my own fault, just mainly because I know him as Kirk from Gilmore Girls. But Sean Gunn uh, comes in, drops the fin, and is just like, oh, you know, that's sure. not what he's looking for. And he says this line where he just says, they killed all my friends. And I was like, oh my God, like that moment was so strong to me. Like, despite the fact that that character is a background character, like it felt so well delivered and it felt so emotional because you saw the bits and pieces of it that leading up to it. So yeah, these things, I think as a director and as acting across the board, it doesn't feel bloated to me because all these emotional beats paid off because I think they threaded it well. And I think that includes baby group. That includes even the characters that we may not automatically acknowledge as, as them trying to do that with. How about Kurt Russell as ego? Uh, great casting. There, there's a couple of stories here of people who were who were uh, potentially in the running for it. Uh, it's a really wide list of 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 people who were potentially in contention, including Matthew McConaughey was apparently considered for this. <laughs> that could have been interesting. Viggo Mortensen. Uh, Did they Bruce- actually consider just David Hasselhoff straight out? I mean, David Hasselhoff being in the movie is absolutely incredible. Genius. Um, but, but Kurt Russell is just like, he is, he is one of those, you know, iconic actors in the genre space, um, that I think can, you know, you can't really watch Kurt Russell without thinking about Kurt Russell, or at least I can't. I think that he is just like so specifically Kurt Russell that he just like sort of pops in that, in that very specific way. Um, but he he exudes this level of cool dad at this age, right? Um, that like he's so he's so likable, which is what makes a lot of like the villainous characters he plays extra terrifying. Uh, like whether it's Death Proof or whatever, uh, or like the more sinister characters that he's playing, um, or even like the, some of the action heroes, like the Snake Plissken of it all, makes him like more dangerous because like there's just something very charming and likable about this guy. Um, and I I think it's it's it I don't know how many people it worked on if there was like a a bait and switch here of like ego is actually secretly the bad guy of the movie um I think it it feels pretty cards up for most of it to me that he's going to make that heel turn um but i i I think that having a character who's just like as gregarious as Kurt Russell 
really helps to ease you in there. Uh, I'd love to to get your take on on that casting, how the ego arc plays out for you. Yeah, I, I think the casting is phenomenal. I, I I I really like Kurt Russell. Um, I've seen him play Good Dad in one of my favorite superhero movies, Sky High, and mm-hmm. he's fantastic in that movie. And here we see like the antithesis of that. Um, and he, you know, I think you're right, right? It's part of the charm that this character has, and it's perfect for it because when he shows up, even if you know he's bad, he's so likable and so charming that you, if you were presented with this dude who came out, you'd want him to be your dad. There's a level of you who kind of just wants it to be true and wants him to not turn out to be the villain. And I think using that to your advantage in this film is smart as a creator. And I think it works. Again, it works really well. Like you have him come out, you have your like the best version of what you would hope a dad could be, who is this charming, really awesome, powerful guy who wants to, you know, who who is apologetic about what happened and comes in to 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 show you your heritage and this legacy he wants to leave you like that scene where they play catch should not have worked, but it totally worked. And I think because specifically it's Kurt Russell and Chris Pratt. Um, so all of those parts, I think I really, really like. And again, for me as a villain, he works because he has such a great connection to the hero. Again, I, I don't always need that to be the case, but I need it to be sensible and you know, and it and it works here. He has a direct connection to him, and when you know that he's going to turn evil, you're also dreading it the whole time. You're seeing these two characters connect. You're seeing Peter Quill with his dad, and you're dreading the fact of like this poor dude who's about you know what's about to happen to him. I also just like him as a villain. It's so interesting and unique, right? Like this idea of being a god, and it's just like, what do you do? when you don't like what's left in front of you like you just destroy it i think it's super interesting i think it's it's really like again living that long being disconnected from humanity i think it's really cool stuff that people have played with but i think they do a good job with it is him and this like you you think of like you know deity like characters who are the bad guys and sometimes it's so aloof it doesn't really feel connectable and i think it does work for him um i also absolutely love that moment where you know he he brainwashes ish peter quill but the moment that he says um you know i had to kill your mom peter was just like nope like nope right out of it i think is great and it speaks again to that character as well um so for me ego is pretty high on my list of villains in the mcu i mean that's both um that's both a a a, uh condemnation of uh of, of the mcu's villains but also i think of the strength of this character in me and also it's so weird because in the comics, he's just this giant planet with a he's face a, on it. He's just a big planet with a face, right? Yeah, and they show... Planet face is what I, they should call him. I love that they showed a shot of it, too. I love that they showed a shot of, of the Ego the Living Planet in this movie as a planet with an angry face. Like, that's great. And I think, again, this movie does such a good job playing with this character stuff, playing with the fun, and giving the comic stuff that should be like, you know, like... where. Uh, terrible comparison but like fantastic four you know where they're like well we can't do galactus we'll make him a cloud and in this is just like nah you're gonna see a planet with a face on it it's gonna happen uh is great and super fun and so for me i just i think it just works really well and i think it is a lot to do with the casting hearing that matthew mcconaughey was a choice totally makes sense now um i do think kurt russell works a little bit stronger because i do see more of a bizarre resemblance for him and uh chris pratt than i would like matthew mcconaughey so yeah, it just works. His delivery is great that he's, he has this emotionality to it, but a perfect amount of aloofness that he needs because he's a God basically. Um, so yeah, I just, I think he, he works so well comparatively to other MCU stuff, especially. 
Um, yeah, uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick chimes in and says, quite honestly, it's Kurt Russell's performance as ego that makes him a top notch MCU villain for me. I think in any other hands, I wouldn't be as on board with the character and the performance, but Russell just sells all of it so well. Um, I think that there's a couple of people I can imagine in the role. Um, and it, it would work, but I just, I'm, I'm so glad that we got some Kurt Russell in the MCU. Uh, in in a, in the same movie where we get some Sylvester Stallone in the MCU, like all of that stuff. I mean, you touched on this with uh, with the ego planet, uh, you know, like the, a planet with Kurt Russell's face embedded in it, just like being like so of the comics and so unimaginable from like where we were when superhero movies were starting to really become a thing in the early 2000s, late 90s into early 2000s. And there was just like so much shyness about like how comic booky can we make it? We want to make it palatable for people. Wolverine can't wear yellow spandex. And not only does Captain America now wear star spangled spandex, but we are at this place where like, don't worry, Galactus isn't a cloud. Ego is a living planet. Uh, and also, here's the original Guardians of the Galaxies, uh, played by Sylvester Stallone. Michelle Yeoh is in here. Um, who who else is Miley Rames? Cyrus. Miley Cyrus Michael is Rosenbaum. the voice of somebody, right? Yeah, she's the voice of the robot at the end. And Michael Rosenbaum is the crystal dude. Um, I love the, those cameos, by it's the way. Insane. I lost my mind in the theater when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> I remember way back when we first started, people had asked, like, Ooh, what's the most famous person to show up in mcu as, as a cameo and i remember calling out being like oh it's gotta be guardians like yeah. you have like so many people show up especially stallone um who's who's great who's great like people he's, like, he's pe- just like delivering like a great sylvester stallone performance uh, he, like, he, he, his scenes with michael rooker as yondu because they're the cliffhanger pair it, it's so great it's just, right and it's like their dynamic from cliffhanger is just ripped <laughs> straight from cliffhanger and brought into guardians of the, of the galaxy except they're in like opposite seats right where it's like uh michael rooker is playing the 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 the, the cliffhanger sylvester stallone and, and he's playing, sylvester the, stallone guy, is yeah. playing <laughs> the michael rooker character from cliffhanger is like what are you even doing showing your face back here uh and having like this whole redemption arc go i can't wait we're gonna do a cliffhanger podcast someday i was I about like to say we're talking about cliffhanger so much on the on, on this podcast it's amazing but that movie Frank! is Frank! i saw i watched that movie so many times as a kid it's oh, ridiculous it's a classic it's a classic um but yeah it's it is it is great i, I do think those scenes are powerful and it's so weird because i was gonna say people give stallone plays stallone right and he does and, and in this scene though it's the best version of him he's doing it on purpose but i do think stallone actually has some like really really strong acting chops he never gets to really showcase i mean the first rocky especially is a phenomenally well done film which doesn't even touch on his performances in creed and creed 2 um but you do see his ability here i think he's not he's doing a version of himself but he's not doing like the expendables and i think it works really well like stallone is, is very i think underrated at times and I liked their dynamic in this movie. I liked his presence in this movie. It was really cool. But again, you're coupling it with like the ridiculous, ridiculous OG look version of the Guardian, the original Guardians, and it's so weird. Um, but it's so it's so fun. And you know, and then you have this like literally after that scene, the Sovereign show up with, <laughs> with their silly gold rug that they have to keep moving. Oh my god, those characters are so fantastic. They're the Sovereign so silly. was amazing. The Sovereign was absolutely ridiculous. Um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki, who is amazing, uh, just a, a really, really, really great performer, uh, does a really great job. Is just like uh, like the Ice Queen of the Sovereign, as Aisha. Uh, I think Aisha, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who I I really hope we we see more follow up of that character 
in volume three. Um, I think like it, it feels like that's low hanging fruit to continue the series, right? To, to go back to the sovereign, um, with enough time having passed at this point between guardians three and guardians two, it's going to be like five years of real time, depending on who got snapped out and who didn't. Um, the sovereign may be pretty advanced in their Adam Warlock plan, which is teased at the end of the movie. Adam Warlock being like a very powerful character from the comics. For those who don't know, I'd be really curious to see how James Gunn handles that character that just like feels like it is right there and also thematically ties into like the family you create by accident right like you know what is the you know who who do they get based on you know rocket stealing a bunch of batteries from these people what does he buy for that in the long haul uh like he buys some conflict in this movie and yondu really kind of pays the price for for uh for the sovereign having to like show up and and rough everything up otherwise they were probably you know in and out of there without any casualties um what is what is the the through line going to be like on that so it's it's something i'm looking at uh as a as a big plot line potentially for volume three is what's next with the sovereign what's next next with adam warlock how does all of that directly specifically impact rocket raccoon i think should be pretty big pieces that uh they're certainly on the board and i i'm i'm really interested to see uh what james gunn does with all that yeah, and I do hope, you know, we end up in a situation where we do get more Sovereign, and I'm hoping more Nova Corps as well. I think, you know, a tragedy of um, of Infinity War and Endgame is that they mentioned the destruction of uh, Xandar, so, like, the Nova Corps got dis- destroyed, and we didn't get to see that. They mentioned, you know, that could happen here, right? You have a five-year gap, Adam Warlock could come out and just kill everyone, and we want to get more Sovereign. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping we get some more, you know, play with that, especially... I think there's potential of setting up, you know, uh, the singular Nova and, 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 and having the sovereign be an interesting, uh, counterpoint to whatever they do with, with Adam. Um, so yeah, I, it's just, there, again, there's so much fun and silliness in this movie, but there's also heart, which we've mentioned. And there's also great action. Something we haven't mentioned is I think the action in this movie is really, really strong. Again, that opening fight while we see it from a different POV is phenomenal. I think the escape through the asteroid belt is really, really great. You know, take that Star Wars. Um, I think that also uh the the forest scene, right? Rocket in the forest fighting uh fighting the Ravagers, I think was so awesome. Like what a way to showcase Rocket's abilities and strengths and intelligence in that fight, I think was so, so well done. And that is not even to touch on that ending fight, which has so many really fun beats and, and hilarious moments. Yeah, the ending fight leaves me a little cold, to be honest. Um, oh, Josh. <laughs> I mean, obviously, the, the Yondu piece uh, is one of my favorite emotional beats of any of these movies. Um, and there, there are a lot of great moments within this final battle. Uh, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Like, there's just so, there's so much fun in there. Like, the, does anybody have any tape? I love uh, that. I love where he's just like, yeah, Scotch tape? tape can work. No, what do you mean you don't have any? Why would you ask? Like, yeah, that, like, that exchange is so good. It's very, it's very, very funny, and I think like the choice of like hearing all of that rather than seeing all of that is is really, really good. I think where I'm left cold, and it it's found throughout a lot of the movie actually for me, because um, I, I agree with you. Like especially the rocket in the forest scene is a really great example, and then like you know yandu ravaging the ravagers with the with the whistle um and the arrow is is super super cool and a really fun scene but the forest one specifically like showing off rocket as a character and his strategy and how all of that works there's like a a little bit of an unreality to the physical realm within this movie um like 
Nebula and Gamora falling like thousands and thousands and thousands of feet and then like slowing their fall by just like stabbing a knife into like a vein of Ego the Planet and slowing down. Like th- there's things like that that really take me out of it. And it's mostly um, contained to the final fight. Like I think if you were to rank the fights within Guardians Volume 2, I think for me the final battle would be at the bottom. Um, compared to everything else, like the, the sovereign chasing, um, chasing everybody on the ship, like all, all of that is so great. There's so many great fights in the movie, but there's like, even like when I think it's like the emotion of Gamora and Nebula going at each other keeps me really in that scene. But there, but there is this threat of like when they're like picking up like ship mounted Gatling guns and firing them at each other. And then just like explosions rocking them hundreds of feet and they just totally get up and they're completely fine. That just like, I, I do, I do find myself being like, they're just like, they're totally fine. Like this is just a kind of, I know it's ridiculous to say it's unrealistic about a movie that is about a talking tree and a living planet. Um, but it does weird. I don't know. Am I, am I completely out on a ledge here? It, it takes me out a little bit. This stuff. I think it's just like the, the physics of it can be a little strange for me to, to wrap my head around. And that, that final battle especially is, is where I feel it the most. I, I don't think you're out of the realm. You know, like I, I will say, I don't, I don't think this this final battle ranks high on our, on our final battle lists. I think you know, there's a lot of the other battles. Is, is you're right. I would call it those action scenes. I think what I like about the final battle is actually the smaller moments, right? The the comedy that happens, the emotional beats. Uh, the action itself is very CG heavy. I do like that they are fighting within the planet, and you have these like really crazy, weird, cool, colorful stuff as opposed to on top of the planet, which is this like kind of like tan nothingness that maybe another cinematic universe would have chosen as their final uh battleground as they are want to do but even then i I like those moments where drax is just running back and forth and trying to like keep mantis alive as things are falling around him and he has that you know out of my way uh, smaller dumber group um but yeah i i think the battle is cg heavy it's not as intense there's some emotional stuff to it but the comedy i think works really well if they would be able to like merge that with like the type of action you saw in the forest or the type of action you saw with Gamora and Nebula, I think this could have been one of the best battles. But I think you're right. You know, talking it out loud with you right now, I, I think it doesn't rank as high, but certainly is one of the funniest final battles ever. Just yeah. for the Scotch safe scene alone, in my opinion. And I think you're right. Like not being not seeing it, just hearing it is is what helps it excel. And Mary Poppins, y'all, I mean, is so great. funny. But I, Which I doesn't like, even touch on that final line that I know that we both really love <laughs> no for for sure and and just like to to do this now um you know the final battle here i'm looking at our final battle rankings we've got the avengers at the top captain america civil war next doctor strange third age of ultron fourth ant-man fifth winter soldier sixth guardians one seventh iron man three eighth this final battle scene is behind all of those i think pretty easily and then the one that you could uh you could slot it in is above captain america the first avenger for me and i'd, I'd be very happy to live with that yeah i think you're right honestly at the end of the day on that ranking like i think, I think it's like it mid-pack so far so far yeah because like there's a lot of great emotionality to it but like the choreography can be a little confusing it, that's that this is the place where the movie feels like a lot to me this is the mo- this is the point of the movie where it does feel maybe a little stuffed um but it deflates and in a breathtakingly painfully beautiful way 
in this moment where Yandu swoops in and grabs Peter and lifts him out and says, he may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. And he takes the spacesuit and puts it on Peter and he dies in front of him as uh, Peter's just so upset and like, like railing against reality, trying to like stop what's happening in front of him as Yanu's just like caressing his face and like having one final moment um, of being in his mind, a good dad, even though for Peter, he was always the coolest. He was David Hasselhoff all along um, is, is just so it doesn't, I, I guess it doesn't hit everybody. I think that this is like one of those things where like, Yondu's death is the saddest thing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Don't at me is like kind of a spicy take. Um, it's a bit of I'm, a spicy take. That's a, that's a spicy meatball. But it, but it but it's it's high up there for me. And I think that this is one of the first moments in the MCU that I can remember like crying in the theater uh, watching and like not like going insane or anything and like you know snotting it up all over the place, which would be fine. Not maybe not now. Well, good luck finding the theater that's showing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two right now. Um, maybe driving somewhere. Maybe, um, but it, I got very choked up at it. Um, that idea of like just because that man is the father you've been looking for your entire life doesn't mean he's the, the father that was actually looking out for you, uh, or even just like the parent who is looking out for you. I I think it's a really really beautiful notion. I think it's played really really well um, by Michael Rooker. There's obviously a lot of trust between Rooker and Gunn. They've worked together on a lot of different projects over the years. So there's a shorthand between those um, two creatives. He is a uh, Michael Caine to his uh, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Kind of, kind of, I think. Uh, it was just very surprising, too. Um, you know, I think a lot of the time these movies do have, like, some sort of big emotional uh, excising of a character, whether it's through death or some other, like, you know, fake out. Um, but this feels very permanent. Who knows what sort of, like, timeline wonkiness could happen. I think James Gunn has said that this is this is going to lie. Like, that's the Yondu story. It doesn't mean that we couldn't get a Yondu flashback to either kick off volume three or be weaved throughout volume three is not impossible um but it is uh it is such an emotional thing and for me it makes the movie it's the you know it's the it's the revelation of like the mission statement the thesis statement of the movie is family is not necessarily who you're born into but who you find um is just really, really beautifully conveyed in that final scene. Uh, and for it to happen so quickly after I'm Mary Poppins, y'all, is uh, fairly impressive about the the tone of this movie that I, I feel like it strikes the right balance. But I guess I get it if you think it's just like a little too, like it's a little too whiplashy, not the uh, the I want my beard uh, sense of it uh, in the, the, you know, going from comedy to, to extreme drama. Um, but for me, it really, really works. And the Yandu scene really embodies all of that. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, agreed 100% on everything you said. I think it's such a great, powerful, emotional moment. And I, I do think it is probably one of the saddest moments up to this point. Um, and until probably uh, Endgame um, and Infinity War. But yeah, he just delivers it really well. It's really well done. And I think it's a line that shouldn't work um, on, and then probably wouldn't have worked if, if, if it wasn't Michael Rooker. I think it's delivered so well. It's extremely powerful. It's one of my go-to lines of like two lines that I think are, that should have been the dumbest things. Like it should have been the, like, you know what happens to toads and I get struck by lightning moment um, mm-hmm. of, of these films. There's this one. And then the other one is in Thor Ragnarok. 
Um, and for that one, it's, you know, um, uh, you know, who are you? Thor, the God of hammers, I think is such a, like, should be a silly line, but I think it's just so powerful and well done. Um, that it is, it is it, it, again, strength of the movies that they happen in that. I think they work so well and maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not for everyone. Maybe it's only for people, you know, who have daddy issues, uh, of which <laughs> raise his hand, raise right? his hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, but I, I, I don't know. I, for me, I think it works really well. And I think it, solidifies the themes of this movie and and what it's all about um so yeah i i i just don't know i i i can't i can't see where 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 the audience is coming from or at least the members of the audience who aren't as high on this movie as as you and i are but there's just there's just a lot of really really good stuff uh both humor and emotion and i do think it balances it um you know i also you know my own personal hilarious moment uh, for me, is like when Peter Quill transforms, having just watched Avatar, I was just like, Avatar state, yip, yip. But, it, you know, it's because his eyes start glowing and everything. And I was just like, spot on. Like, there's a lot of just really good stuff throughout this movie. A lot of fun stuff. A lot of high concepts um, that I think makes me also excited for Guardians 3. I, I hope that even the people who are, you know, who weren't as high on this movie are still excited for Guardians 3 because it's, it's, I'm, I'm so thrilled about these. Like as a franchise, I think they're really strong. We won't know until Guardians 3 comes out, uh, what, how it stacks up to something like Captain America. But, um, I think in terms of the trilogy of films, it's there. It's Cap and Guardians, I think, are the, are, are the face offs. Yeah, I think I think Guardians is is I think Volume Two is so consistent with Volume One. I think I think that they are really 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 close for me, and I, I think it's a good segue into into talking about the the rankings of the movies. Um, you know, I had the original at a five and a half. Uh, I I give it a slight edge over Volume Two. I think it it's a little more grounded for me in a way that like the like the physicality of this movie does take me out of it sometimes. So it's just a slight notch below. I'm giving it a five point four. Um, but these movies are so consistent with each other. Um, and they're just such crowd pleasers. They're just, they're really cleverly done. They're lovingly crafted. Um, you know, we're, we haven't even gotten into the post credit scenes yet, but like one of, one of the questions that I think is often thrown around with the post credit stuff is like five post credit scenes. Really? It's a lot. That's, and we're not going to go down beat by beat for every single one of them because it is too much. But one of the things that James Gunn does with this movie, and I think that the pro- post credits really represents very well, is that idea of no part of the animal goes wasted, right? Like the credit scene is an event beyond the post credit scenes. Um, you watch the, the music is just so good. The soundtrack continues to bop, but the credits like transform in front of you. There are like, um, like this like video shoot that is like playing out as yeah. all of the various guardians are dancing. It helps you feel and a little also, bit better about what happened to Yandu because Michael Rooker is just yeah. rocking out. Things transform. David Hasselhoff is talking Jeff to Goldblum you. also <laughs> there. Yeah, for reasons? Reasons? You know, the grandmasters in town so like it's just a delight it is it is covered in easter eggs and it and and that for me you know why does there have to be five post credit scenes in this certainly doesn't have to be but i think it's it's a it it's it's a testament to the fact that the movie isn't just a love letter to the characters but that the movie is a love letter to the people who made the movie whether it's the cast or the people who are doing the visual effects or the people who are doing sound design uh, or people who are doing color correction or people who are picking up coffee um that like james gunn really efforts to make it worth your while to sit through and pour over the entire credit sequence um 
to to make sure that you are you are seeing names that maybe you wouldn't even see. You know, it the whole thing is an event. It's the best credit sequence of the MCU for me for sure. Um because they're because of the way we rank these things, I think it's kind of arbitrary to just like go through each and every single one of these post-credit scenes and list out our rankings. They're in the show notes. Consult the show notes. That's where you'll see everything. Um but it just it speaks to just like the amount of love that is poured into into both of these movies. Uh, and I think why there was such a huge outcry when James Gunn was removed um, from these movies, because like, why even bother making a third Guardians without James Gunn at the helm? He is such a foundational part of this family uh, of uh, surrounding this movie that it just wouldn't make sense to do. Anyway, long way of saying this is a 5.4 for me. May as well be a 5.5. I'm just making a call between Guardians 1 and Volume 2, but they're both just really, really, really excellent crowd pleasers for me. Um, you know, before we even get into the ranking, I wanted to just hit what you exactly like. I agree. I think this is probably objectively, I think it's the best credit sequence in the MCU. I think you can make an argument for Avengers Endgame because of the emotion behind it and like what they do there. I mean, it's a, it's a strong, strong end credit scene, but I think it's, it's earned and built up in that one. But in terms of like just straight out, like just an end credits that is just amazing fun. And also to me, including that many post credit scene is also almost like a parody of what these end credits should be, which is guardians constantly is just poking fun at a lot of stuff like that. It reminds me very much of just, you know, um, uh, 22 Jump Street, which, you know, uh, is a, a, a not as good as the original, but has the uh, an incredible, incredible post credit scene that that just should shut down any attempts at a, at a third one in that franchise. And in the same way of this is just like, how do you do like a credit sequence after this one? I think looking outside the MCU and if we're just looking at Marvel, I do think um, the only one that beats it is uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which I think is just holy hell like that post credit scene or end credit scene is, is incredible all the way through um music wise and just visually totally. uh, but but yeah i it, you know and for me coupled with everything you know uh you you definitely you know you you barely put the original guardians ahead i am barely putting the this one ahead I, and i think coming in I, I knew that was gonna be the case it was just gonna be a question of how far ahead the original guardians i gave a 5.3 i am giving this a 5.5 i just think it's very strong yes it drags a little bit but between character work between the, the villain uh between structure i i really 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 enjoy this movie and and the jokes are just top notch bar none um and i think the only places it loses really is that um the ending fight sequence isn't isn't great um and uh mainly that i guess you know that's mainly and, like, that for me too yeah yeah I would agree. And, and you know and there are there are other characters in the marvel universe i do feel way stronger about like that i would just naturally invest more um but that's again that's just a personal preference um but these movies are just so much fun they're so much fun try and having think, more fun than you know other than ragnarok like try having right. more fun in these movies which is going to be another coming up soon. Um, and for me, it is a streak. We're about to hit. Uh, we we said we both said this, and we're about to hit a very very strong streak of films. And and the, to me, this isn't. Oh, we just have to get through Doctor Strange and Guardians. I already knew. I'm like Guardians for me is going to be top notch, and it was. Yeah, we so. need to get through Doctor Strange, take an inadvertent week off to recover. Yes, and then, <laughs> and, and then we're cooking with gas. Yeah, we, we we time traveled so much in that one that we had to just you know spend time to let it recoup. Um, before getting here but so so yeah for me it's a 5.5 film i think i i'm i'm very high on this movie especially for characters that i don't 
you know, feel as strongly about as I do for other uh, films and other places in the MCU. Yeah. Um, the audience is a 4.4 4 on, on this, so lower than we are. Um, but it's, it's across the board. There's a lot of really high marks for this as well as a couple of low marks for it. Um, but that bears it out to a 5.09 Guardians Volume 2, number five on the board, uh, top five baby. Uh, I think it will be pushed down in short order. Um, <laughs> but enjoy that spot while you got it, guys. Uh, well, well earned. Um, breaking into the top five in the villains category. Uh, Ego, the living planet with uh, a pair of fives from you and I, Kevin, a 3.7 from the crowd. Uh, but that double five is going to push Ego ahead of, uh, Robert Redford. I guess the, we like, we like Kurt Russell more than Robert Redford. Is that the statement here? I feel it's a fair statement that I have no qualms to to argue against. I definitely <laughs> Kurt Russell. I mean, nothing against Robert Redford, but Kurt Russell between you know I, I mentioned Sky High, but like you said, Escape from uh, Escape from L.A. and New York, uh, The Thing, which is one of the greatest movies ever, also in the Fast and Furious franchise now. So yeah, uh, Kurt Russell is phenomenal, guys. <laughs> uh, Post credit scenes. I just give fours across the board. It's just too hard to to. I would have given like if you were just rating like Guardians of the Galaxy two is credit sequence would be a six but if you have to break them out it's just fours across the board it is a lot so I think they're the only all, all one, like a consistent quality to me i think the only one i gave a five was the the the, the stallone one uh, i think it was great seeing all them together i love the cameos in that moment and like it does make me want to be like can we get just like a 30 minute short with them mm-hmm. <laughs> like as the, <laughs> the og guardians i would love that <laughs> that'd be great um but you apparently I didn't know this. There's there's a there's another one I missed. There's a watcher. Yeah. So the, 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 the movie ends and the final final thing is the watchers walking away from Stan Lee, who's been telling I thought that happened during the movie. It did. It happens twice. It happens oh, weird. twice. Stan Lee's t- telling him the story early on in the movie. And then the movie ends, the credits roll, and the watchers start walking away from Stan Lee's like, oh, God, guys, there's still so much more to say. We'll play it at the end of the podcast so everybody can hear it. That's really uh, funny. I, uh, I do remember that, but I don't remember that being there. Yeah, it's there. It's there. I mean, that I love. Like, if we're, if we're jumping into our informal rankings, we might as well hit the Stan Lee one. Because to me, that's the number one. There's no question in my mind. Like, I agree. I agree with you. But for the kids back home, I think it is important for you to just explain why this is the number one. Sure. So uh, this is, you know, some, I forgot who I think it, it, it was it uh, not Professor Strong. I think before that they met um, whoever was the feedback we read that mentioned this is a was a fan theory. So. In the in the Marvel comic book universe, there are these beings called the Watchers, who are these uh, ancient intergalactic beings whose sole duty it is to observe and watch as realities unfold. Um, we have a watcher in our universe named Uatu, who is the main watcher, and he absor- uh, observes everything happening in the M- in the Marvel universe. Uh, there's a little bit of backstory about why they're watchers because he interfered once and he destroyed an entire universe and it's a whole thing. But um, there was. A running fan theory that Stan Lee is able to appear in all these movies because he is secretly a watcher and he keeps showing up in these various movies to interact with the various universes. Again, fan theory. And so for James Gunn to take that fan theory and basically be like, no, that's exactly what it is. Effectively Stan Lee is a watcher. It, yeah. yeah, effectively yeah. canonizing this fan theory and giving that to us. Because again, if the MCU has proved one thing, it's that you you are allowed to give the fans what they want if you earn it. And boy, oh boy, do they! 
uh, absolutely makes this my favorite. I, I love it because it just it, it is a weird in universe explanation to yes. something that's so non-important. Like why is Stan Lee showing up? How is that possible? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it explains it in a way that totally works. So yeah, I think I think it's uh, it's great. It's by far my favorite, uh, and it's going to stay there. There's no other cameo. I think maybe again if we did. Um, if we did a uh, spider verse, which doesn't fit into this universe, it would probably be uh, that probably be an argument for the top spot. But this in the MCU proper, I think it's, it's unquestionably this moment. <laughs> well, we may be able to carry the, uh, the Stanley cameo rankings uh, with us into, uh, into future podcasts. Once we clear <laughs> the MCU, who knows? It may transcend, but I agree. Also, it uh, showed the Watchers. The, yeah, that's the, the other watchers. part. That's really the cool. Watchers exist. Like, my god. And gosh. with, you know, the last note that we have, as of this recording anyway, is intergalactic in the MCU, right? With Nick Fury on the ship uh, yeah. and scrolls replacing him back on Earth. We don't know where we're going in the future of the MCU still, all this time later. Um, you know, is will the Watchers be a factor? Uh, they certainly already exist in the MCU at this point. So, and if you have a multiverse crossed, of madness, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. It'd be super, super cool. Um, yeah, so that's you know that's that's Guardians Volume Two. Uh, everything's great. It's super fun. Everything is super. I would even go as far. In my opinion, everything is super with Guardians. That's for sure. You know, Star Lord's um, great in this. Gamora's great. Nebula's great. We didn't talk Mantis. Mantis is amazing. Mantis I, is so good. I, I she's so funny. Um, Mantis oh, looks out. <laughs> I'm all. I'm so. I I always forget the name of the the actress uh, who who plays her, but um, she's incredible. She's just so 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 funny in that role. Um, and yeah, you see her abilities great. also travel through, right? Like, I love that you see the whole thing is that, you know, she puts, like, you go to sleep and has to use that ability against Thanos um, later on, which is really great, like, to have that usage. Um, so, yeah, no, she's she's great, and her interactions with Drax was was fantastic. Um, and a great new addition, you know. The Guardians are getting large now, so it's going to be interesting to see as the size of this crew grows, like, where do they go? Um, you know, the Marvel Universe has been threes, but I think... Thor is changing that, you know, Thor is going Thor, for Thor, 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 Thor. Um, although we could just, I guess, ignore the first two existing and just pretend this is a trilogy that Ragnarok was the first and sure. Thunder will be the second. I'd be fine with that. I'm happy Same. to live in that world. Yeah. It's a re- <laughs> reset. Hit the reset nope. button. Um, speaking of hitting the reset button, Kevin, we're doing that next week on a franchise. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Spider-Man comes home. He's already home. He's been here for a while. You know, he was in Iron Man 2, and then he's in Captain America Civil War in a more uh, literal way. Wow, I snuck that past Kevin. That's pretty good. Uh, and so now Sorry, we're I, get... I was too busy thinking about the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. It's all right. Just go back and listen to this part of the podcast and see what you missed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sp- Spider- Spider-Man Homecoming. We, we're, we're still in collusion with Sony, still in collaboration with Sony, but with an MCU twist and a really, really, really fun movie that I'm very excited to just like kick back and have a good time. Another movie that's just like just a blast uh, with some with some really big stuff to talk about, too. Uh, I, just- I, I got to imagine Vulture's going to hit pretty high here on this uh, bad guy list. I I don't want to I don't want to give spoilers, but prepare for for very high marks across the yeah. board. Vulture's um, gonna get I'm, a lot. I'm just gonna go ahead and say right now, in my opinion, having just watched a lot of the Spider-Man movies again, this is by far and away the best Spider-Man movie that we've had. Fight me, like uh, it's 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 so 
so good on so many levels, um, both in villains, both in characterization, and even re- I haven't even rewatched it yet. I just just based on my memory of having seen it twice. But um, I'm really excited to dive into it, and it's so insane because it is a reboot. It's it's a movie we've seen the origin of so many times. And I'm glad that they skipped it, which is the right way to do it. But yeah, I'm I'm really really pumped to delve into Homecoming. Um, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited to come home to Homecoming, Josh. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Uh, we'll do the Spider-Man version of this too. Everything is amazing. We'll do that. We'll do all the Spider-Man movies. It's gonna be painful for a, for for a while. <laughs> It's everything is amazing right? everything is spectacular which which are we going with i feel like there's a lot of ways uh yeah we could we can workshop it but we've got options get your feedback in you can let us know uh we'll we'll talk about uh spider-man in the context of the spider-man movies it's just so much that we can talk about next week uh send that feedback in super at post show recaps.com you can hit us up on the twitter bots at post show recaps at round howard at kev mahadeo don't forget to send in your infinity stone rankings for the movie uh, for the bad guy, for Vulture, uh, and as well for the post credit scenes. Uh, sadly, no J. Jonah Jameson in this one. We've still got a little ways to go uh, before we get there. Um, Kevin, that's it for us here on Everything is Super. Spoiler alert, tease alert. Uh, it's not the last you'll hear of Kevin and I doing some podcasting together on Poster Recaps. We'll have some uh, really, really exciting company. Uh, the way you the said ne- that makes it sound like Everything is Super has just ended with this episode. <laughs> no, it's not. No, we're good. Everything is Super continues apace. But if you like having Kevin and I in your ears on a weekly basis, assuming we don't skip a week, uh, get ready to have Kevin and I in your ears uh, on a twice weekly basis with a with a with uh, another voice as well. Uh, coming up really soon for a show that is uh that is launching on hbo very soon called lovecraft country uh so if that is not on your radar yet make it so uh, as picard would say put it on your radar uh we're gonna have a really good time talking about what i think is gonna be a really big show for hbo and a really big show uh culturally uh, i think it's gonna be really really fascinating to sink our teeth into uh and kevin especially as a as a huge horror junkie i think uh this is gonna be straight in your wheelhouse Oh, yeah. I think as a person who loves horror, who's very, very obsessed with, with horror films and, 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 and horror stories, and as a person who is obsessed with Jordan Peele tackling those stories, as he is executive producing it, and as a person who has very, very strong feelings when it comes to race in this country, this yeah. is a good, this is, this is a pretty big circle of interest uh, for Kevin here. So it's going to be really another amazing to- podcast where you get to tell me how white I am. Uh, I, think, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that's going to happen great. a lot. I think it's going to happen a lot. I am open i am ready i am ready it's, for that. A, it's okay right. josh you're 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 a good white person <laughs> yeah every i don't know a good person is uh is debatable just as a baseline uh everything is super coming back next week with spider-man homecoming keep your ear out as well for this lovecraft country coverage that is coming your way from kevin myself and tbd announced guest who i'm so pumped about uh making her podcast debut on post show recaps coming up real soon everybody take care bye-bye bye In these times of hardship, just remember, we are Groot. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? Hey, you were supposed to be my lift home. How will I get out of here? Hey, oh, gee, I've got so many more stories to tell. Oh, guys. Oh, gee.